kitchen with me georgia simmons the founder of greedy vegan this is a podcast where we talk all things food plant-based food non-plant-based food and everything in between this podcast means so much to me and greedy vegan so if you enjoy this episode please please like share and subscribe i hope you're hungry as there is a lot cooking in this conversation In this episode, I thought it'd be interesting to speak to someone who's been working in the dairy industry for some time in order to get an understanding of the most recent changes and to get an insight in plant-based consumption from a different perspective. This week, I'm joined by Chris Slocum, who is Operational Director for Longman Cheese and has been in the industry for 25 years. Not only is he at the forefront of making cheese, but also wholesaling a lot of British dairy products to retailers, restaurants, delis and coffee shops all over the UK. So therefore I thought it'd be interesting to get Chris's view on the plant-based movement, address some of the concerns that people have about the dairy world, and also talk about all things cheese. As not being a huge cheese lover myself, I'm actually pretty clueless about where cheese originated from, how you make it, and what causes the different varieties. Chris is hugely passionate about cheese, and so we really are learning from the best. Let's jump straight in. Firstly, Chris, thank you so much for um, sparing some time. I know you're super busy, so thank you so much for talking. It's an absolute pleasure. Always happy to talk about cheese. So, the quick fire questions. I ask everyone these questions. It's a good chance to for people to get to know you. It's all about food. So, firstly, pizza or pasta? Pasta. Sweet or savoury? Depends on my mood. Ooh. Okay. Right now? Uh, sweet. Okay. Juicy burger or overloaded salad? Uh, juicy burger. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Cook in or eat out? Dependent on mood. Okay, so tonight? Out. Okay. Rice or noodles? Noodles. You're the first person to say noodles. I think I'd say noodles. Uh, Favourite takeaway? Chinese. Nice. Let's start by, you just mentioned we were talking before about how cheese originated. I have absolutely no idea how cheese originated. So please, yeah, explain that. Okay, so the earliest sort of writings of cheese or cheese-style products are about 2000 BC. So in those times, people were taking animal stomachs and using them as carriers for water primarily, so gourds, as you remember in some of the films that you see. Uh, And as they started to realise that... um, you know, the animals produced milk and the milk could be uh, drunk. They started using those gourds to transport uh, milk around as they were foraging and going out and about their, their time. What they found was in those conditions and some of the gourds, the milk would start coagulating. And that's to do with the naturally occurring rennets that exist within the animal stomachs. That's what the ruminants particularly use to break down um, their milk and and. the the things that they're eating and so those bacteria those rennets caused the milk um, to curdle Mm. and started to curdle and they found then that they had a solid product Um, to start off with uh, obviously very 
sort of more like uh, cream cheese or cottage cheese, that sort of texture as it started to, to, to calculate and move through. And then in time found that actually if they kept it, the cheese would harden and then you had something you could keep for longer and put back in, in, in um, you know, for eat, eating later in the year. So that's broadly is how um, people understand that, that cheese was sort of discovered. That is amazing. Yeah, so that's why... Uh, the great debate, uh, vegetarian cheese versus traditional cheese. Mm-hmm. Traditional cheeses will use an animal-based rennet, uh, which comes from uh, normally the calves, of, uh, the, the stomachs of calves, which mm-hmm. is what they, they're naturally occurring um, substances to allow them to drink the milk from their mothers and, and mm-hmm. move that through. For us as humans, uh, and again, this is, this is how we've evolved since then, so dairy has not been a natural food for humans. It wasn't. Um, and what you see across the world now is that uh, in the Western world, we have adapted and we have some of those bacteria present in our own bodies now. So we've evolved, which is why we can break down um, lactose and, and milk products. Mm-hmm. There are obviously the lactose intolerant, but on the whole, we can do that. In other parts of the world, particularly China, who've not had a heavy dairy diet through history, they don't have those naturally occurring. And so they find it more difficult to break down dairy products, which is why traditionally dairy uh, has not been a big big in China. That is changing slowly as they've come into the world more and more now. But that's So a, interesting. A brief history on, yeah. on cheese and, and the human race. That is so interesting. So how is cheese made today? So obviously you guys make your own cheese here. Like what is the process? So in broad handfuls, and you can make cheese at, home if you if you wish there's lots of ways you can fry it um you take milk uh, and there's two things with milk you can either standardize it which the big plants who make lots of cheddar or lots of breeze the big commercial plants will standardize their milk so their ingredient is exactly the same and by standardizing i mean that the fats and the proteins are consistently the same in the milk all the way okay. through um because that's what makes and gives you your cheese um the farmhouse cheesemakers uh, and the artisan cheesemakers take the milk as it comes. You then um, pasteurise that milk, so you, you heat it to kill any bugs, um, either up to 72 degrees C for three seconds, so full pasteurisation, or there's, a, there's another process called thermizing, which takes you to about 62 degrees C for a brief time. The difference between those two is that a lot of people believe that there is good bacteria mm-hmm. in milk, which is undoubtedly true. Um, and so you are trying to preserve some of that good bacteria by thermizing it, vice pasteurizing it. There. So once it's been pasteurized, you bring the milk back down uh, from those high temperatures. You then add a starter culture, which is a load of bacteria, which starts the process of turning the milk into the, the cheese. The starter culture is the bit that every cheesemaker guards jealously. They all have their own starters. Uh, you make your starter, you, you all have your own lab, so you make your starter, you keep some that you then grow for the next day, so you're growing bacteria for use for the next lot of cheese, and then you use that amount of bacteria um, for your cheese of that day. And that's what gives you consistency, and that's why each cheese maker is different. You've done that, and you've made sure that um, lots of testing. With uh, the big plants, it's all done automatically. There's lots of probes, measure temperatures and pHs and all sorts of things to feel that the uh, cheese is at the right stage to move on to the next stage. The traditional cheesemakers do it with their eye. They mm-hmm. know that the curd looks absolutely right on the table now. Right, let's get the whey drained off and let's move on. So once, once you've got the milk there, you add the rennet to that culture that I've spoke about before. 
And that causes the milk to coagulate into curds, mm-hmm. which is like little lumps of cheese. So you know if you leave your milk in the fridge for too long, yeah. you get some lovely lumps come in it. Once you've got your curds, which is all those lumps, depending on whether it's softer lumps in, in sort of fresh cheese and things like that, or t- traditional cheddar and hard cheeses, which are sort of slightly harder lumps, you drain the whey off. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you, you're cutting the curd into lots of small bits. And that's how you cut it and how you divide it and what you do with it and how many times you cut it. Again, differentiates from brie to camembert to cheddars to other hard cheeses. Mm. They're all different processes. Um, cheddar is actually called cheddar, nothing to do with a place in Somerset. Mm-hmm. Um, but the process of cutting the curd is called cheddaring. The way that the curd Aye. is sliced and cut up uh, is called cheddaring. Another little fact for the day. Yeah. So once you've done all of that, and you've drained the whey off, you're then left with a curd uh, on the table. So good old Miss Muffet and her curds and whey. Uh, the whey is used for a whole load of other things. It's very high in protein, so mm. whey powder for the bodybuilders and mm. whey drinks. Uh, a lot of that that is taken away and dried and produced because um, uh, it is very, very uh, high in protein. Uh, we churn ours into butter, so our okay. butter, we take the whey cream, uh, and that's why um, And the traditional farmhouse makers have some really good butter because it's slightly different sort of product than than the normal everyday butter um once you've got that you texture the curd again depending on on what you're going to do with it mm-hmm. uh, you salt uh, again traditional cheesemakers hand salt so you've just got a big bucket and you're just like throwing seeds out on the ground saying yeah. salt all over the curd table uh moving the curd around milling the curd and then putting it into presses and mm-hmm. that runs from huge great uh 27 kilo um molds for traditional cheeses through 20 kilo molds for most of the cheddar down to tiny little molds for the camemberts and things like that Uh, and then you press those to leave them to drain again the liquid comes out Uh, and then once you've got that you leave the cheese to mature so mold ripened cheese the camemberts the breeze and things you leave uh you know and you'll be selling those at four to six weeks of age as those those come on you keep an eye on them cheddars can be up to two years just sat on the shelf quietly minding its own business just yeah. quietly maturing and, and bringing on cheese making generally is a sort of eight to ten hour process during mm-hmm. the day but the time you've come in and started and moved on that's where you, you sort of get to so it's quite a yeah cheese making is is a thing of love it's uh it's a way of life um it's it's a vocation not a job and people get very passionate about it there's so many different varieties I yeah. there's so much that goes into it yeah uh, and, and i was going to touch on that a, a bit later but you know for us and at the time that i've been involved in the industry which is about 25 years now um we have seen an explosion of artisan and small cheesemakers in this country from about 2000 onwards and also a rise in dairy free at the same time um yeah dairy free um really has um about 2017 was the first time so the first veganery in my own mind was um january 2017 okay that's the first time it sort of got termed as such you know yeah. are we going to do a veganery and we're going to do this yeah uh we were in germany there's a huge great food show called anuga that takes place in germany every couple of years so we were at anuga and were actually seeing uh we were in the greek area because we were seeing the people who make our we import greek traditional greek yogurt yeah um so we were seeing uh that family there was still our feta and halloumi and we were introduced to a greek company 
who are now sort of very well known in a very big company called Violife. But that was just sort of really starting yeah. at that stage. And I'd sort of picked up on some food trends on uh, non-dairy, which mm-hmm. was very, uh, very limited at that stage. Always a lot of vegetarian, but vegan was, you know, really starting to come through. You know, vegan then was we don't eat meat. Yeah. It hadn't branched into other food. Uh, yes, corn was, as a meat substitute, yeah. was sort of known about. Mm-hmm. But if you look back then, there probably wasn't much else out no. there. There certainly wasn't uh, the plethora of milk alternatives that there are now. Mm. That has the, the milk alternatives have really sprung over the last three years, I would say, probably just pre pandemic mm-hmm. so 2019 2020 but that sort of coincided with the rise of the independent barista the independent coffee shop yeah, so you had your costas and your starbucks which yes they they've all risen massively in the last 10 years but also you've had the independents who've realized that people want good coffee you know you open a place you have some really good um you know bakery and pastries and things yeah on the back of some, you know, really good coffee and, and baristas. And then, you know, the fair trade side of coffee yeah. that went through with all of that. Um, and so that was when the milk side has has really taken off. Mm. But prior to that, yeah, we, we uh, probably, yeah, 2017 would be um, the first veganery. Um, we were quite lucky because I did know of Violife when we managed to start sort of things quite quickly with that. Yeah. Um, we quite liked their products because it's coconut oil based, not palm oil, yeah, with all so. the other issues that, that run with, with palm oil. Yeah. Um, and so we started that a long time ago. Mm. Um, they, for us, they performed well cooking. Okay, yeah. Um, if you had made a, you know, vegetarian pasta dish of some kind um you could grate the parmesan style yeah on the top and it sort of melted and sort of yeah, yeah, yeah. did what you'd expect uh, it brought some flavor to it it wasn't com- completely flavor so it was, it was quite reasonable on that likewise their their feta and mediterranean grilling cheese halloumi yeah uh, again um, didn't quite have the same squeak as proper halloumi. No. But, you know, it, it would, uh, in the pan, it would brown. Mm. Um, it was quite salty, which is what you'd expect. Yeah. Uh, you know, and was okay. Um, but, you know, halloumi is one of those things that, yeah, we all eat grilled halloumi on our own, but normally you're adding it into yeah. something. So you're adding a flavour in there anyway. So that performed and cooked uh, as well. Um, mm. And... Yeah, I think the interesting thing with with vegan cheeses is, or or vegan type cheeses, is trying to find that cheese board equivalent. Yeah. You can have them as ingredients because you're adding things into, you know, whether that's a sandwich or, you know, onto a salad, Mm -hmm. and then you're dressing that and you're doing things. And so, yeah, if it looks and and tastes vaguely um, that way, uh, you know, you can use it in that way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. As we were talking about before you started recording, you know, it's having camemberts and breeze and things that look and taste and act like camemberts yeah. and breeze to eat on their own as camemberts and yeah. brie. And that, that is the challenge. And and how you achieve that, um, I think, is down to clever people and scientists. Yeah, um, definitely. You know, we seem to have been pretty successful on meat with that so far. Yeah, amazing. Um, you know, whether it's corn and some of the other, you know, 
burger type things that are being produced are mm. actually okay. They're quite yeah. they're quite reasonable. Yeah. Um, and therefore, you know, again, that is an ingredient. But actually, mm. if you bite into one of those, yeah, it's it's sort of there. Yeah. We haven't quite got there with cheese yet. Um, and you go back to where did it all start? I think prior to that period, probably 2015, 2016, 17, veganism was about animal welfare. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Undoubtedly, it was about the eating of animals and the treatment of animals. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so people were making a conscious choice for mm. them as, as a moral standpoint. Yeah. I think what's happened since then is um, you've had a piece on global warming. Mm-hmm. And our, our relentless chase of food production and and what damage that does to the environment. Uh, personally, I think there's a lot of unproven data on actually what's the most harmful for the planet: a plant-based diet mm-hmm. or an animal-based diet. Um, yeah. Because you you know we now plow the fields in a different way, which keeps more of the carbon. Uh, okay. In the different things that we are that farmers are doing to 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 look at that and alter that carbon yeah. footprint, but actually where we're growing a lot of the plant based substitutes, which won't grow in this country. You know, people have tried growing soy in this country. There's a few people do it, but you just it's not commercially viable no. to do so. And therefore, you're importing soya, soya particularly from a long long way away. But almonds, coconuts, all the other type of things yeah. are not natural to this country. Or Western Europe, mm-hmm. or America. No. So the great consumer bases, we are having to invest an awful lot in terms of global warming and greenhouse gases to get that food from those places mm. to the market. So until we can sort of solve that conundrum, I'm not sure what the difference is between yeah from a from a global warming greenhouse carbon footprint basis of growing food, plant-based food, mm-hmm. uh, or diet food for plant-based diets, as opposed to animal growing animals and, yeah. and whatever. There are there are different arguments um, for both on that. Yeah. Um, so you know that that I think is an argument that floats either way. Um, so then you get into um, people doing it as a lifestyle choice. Is yeah. it better for me to eat less meat? Mm. And have more of a plant-based diet. Uh, how does that affect me? You know, particularly with bowel cancer. Mm-hmm. You know, there's undoubtedly. I think there's more enough studies to prove now that you know a heavy meat diet, particularly a processed meat diet, is not good for you. No. Um, sadly, you know, in the world there are a lot of places that can't people who can't afford the luxury of of, of having fresh meat. You know, all the time, not processed food, uh, and the, the changing in society. Uh, makes things, I think, very different. Uh, and perhaps I'll come back to that in a minute. So you then get into lifestyle choices, which where a lot of people now, do I feel better or worse having mm-hmm. a plant-based diet? Um, and that, I think, is, is again, I think the jury's out. Some people say they feel amazing. Mm. Other people say, oh, I don't think I'm doing as well. Yeah. Uh, and that's looking, you know, and again, broader spectrum, are, are we eating a balanced plant-based diet? Am yeah. I getting the same nutrients there that I'm getting out of everything else? Yeah, and that's so important. And that's the important bit, particularly protein. I worry uh, for the younger generation, your generation, who move away from a milk 
based drink. We, we were probably there anyway before this, but the potential for osteoporosis, particularly in 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 um, ladies uh, mm. in later in life, because they haven't got that firm calcium lay down yeah, that that milk gave youngsters. Um, you know, our elder generation's teeth and bones are pretty good because we all drank a lot of milk. Yeah interesting so then there's an argument where we can't break down the milk and we you know we there's the argument that um milk is fed to calves to help them grow and how big calves get like should we be consuming that same product and like what's your view on that kind of argument um no that's 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 history i mean your argument about giving milk to calves well all of the mammals that suckle their young Mm. are giving them milk yeah breastfeed our own yeah. offspring or, yeah. or try to which ought to be lead to be good so you know at that stage going to calves that's just a natural thing of the animals growing i don't think there's a particular argument that says that we we do it mm. um in a way that means we shouldn't have milk because we we do that to calves yeah. going back to your original question i suppose you know with with your discussion there and where we've gone we've seen this this ethical uh standpoint that's been there for a long time and so the 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 recent rise in veganism is almost entirely down to lifestyle yeah uh, and people changing their wanting to change their lives and i think that will be interesting if inflation rises and we end up going back into some form of recession um because as we saw with organic in 2008 that lifestyle choice is great when you can afford it yeah 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 um at the moment aren't based alternatives Mm -hmm. are uh, as expensive or more expensive than than um, the the non plant yeah. um, because of the process involved in producing all of those yeah and so you know the worry is that people you know if you go if you only got so much money in your pocket it might be lovely to buy um, one liter of coconut milk but when you can buy two liters of milk for less money than you can that that yeah. that's the hard decisions that people have to make or, or through that yeah i don't know how it will go um you always look at things oh this is a fad yeah um and then something else will come along um but i think there is more traction in in the vegan movement Mm. at the moment so now we from where we started in 2017 with Violife, we have um a whole host of dairy free uh, uh yeah vegan options from you know sunflower spreads which to be honest we've always carried because there was always a demand for those who wanted a non-butter based okay um and that was to do with the perception that um sunflower spreads are more healthy than butter Mm -hmm. uh, an argument that i think now has been well and truly debunked Mm um on that um and so yeah that that's relatively straightforward it's a sunflower based spread Mm -hmm. um there's a couple of alternatives out there but they've always been there and so that's been relatively straightforward yeah but the rise for us in uh those non-dairy products so i I ran some quick figures because you asked the question so Mm. we're probably looking at about two percent of our business is now non okay dairy now increase uh, i mean that's increased obviously from nothing Uh, i think i think it will increase to an extent but for us we are, you know, a traditional farming dairy family. Yeah. We provide those products. There are some traditional dairy families who just won't have anything to do with it. That, yeah. That's because it is 
contra there is obviously a commercial element to what we're doing if we're going into a farm shop or a deli or or somewhere mm. as their prime cheese supplier and they say well actually i need some vegan alternative can you can you do that then of course why wouldn't you yeah. providing you can source um we prov- um apply the same sort of ethical standards where to those products that we do to the animal products in terms yeah. of it's got to be coconut based mm-hmm. uh other things involved not any of the products with high e numbers that are full of additives that are full yeah. of artificial things because that's not actually really good uh for people either no so you know we we balance off the same uh, against each each of those to ensure that there and actually the product does what it says on the tin yeah uh, which i say again leads us more to ingredients based than um than cheese board based sort of type type things because i think if people want a cheese board they will tend to be they want a cheese board because they want cheese yeah. they don't want um yeah, you know, yeah. a, a vegan alternative whereas if you are a vegan and you want a vegan sandwich uh, of whatever type actually having or a salad that has a feta style yeah thing you know make makes entire sense so it's like you know slight, slightly different things for both of those um interesting the milk alternatives uh is probably about five percent of our okay business we sell huge amounts of soya milk uh huge amount of coconut almond uh oat milk uh, yeah. probably that's the biggest uh all of those lines um now almost all the things have got brister after it so it's oatly brister it's coconut brister yeah, it's almond yeah. brister we do sell an amount to people who just put it on their cornflakes in the morning or whatever it happens mm-hmm. to be uh but for us our our coffee shops and delis and places that are taking yeah uh, our normal dairy products and have got uh, the normal milk and things for their barista have uh, that's their bolt on that allows them to do mm-hmm. you, know, um, uh, you know an oat latte or whatever it happens to be definitely um, because there is the demand for that and yeah. again you know everybody's you know in business and the commercial bits of that um, we've worked hard with some of the manufacturers uh, to develop things that are closer mm-hmm. to the okay. original probably the most successful is um, almost pains me to say it, oh, but the horrible orange plastic burger slice. Oh my god! Yeah, that is you know a necessity. Yeah. Um, you know it, the the normal ones you get. Uh, you know McDonald's probably the most common, but we lots of plate people have those because that's the one that melts really well. And you've yeah. got the orange color and all the rest of it. We have a full plant based alternative uh, that okay. be- looks the same, and what behaves the same, that? tastes the same. Um, which comes from uh, an Irish company okay. uh, that's developed uh, that. Uh, we're quite close with them on some other products and ideas. So it was quite nice to be able to pull that through. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that behaves and does exactly the same. But if you now have them, for us, uh, where we do, uh, one of the things that, that we do in London is we do a lot of the burger mm-hmm. chains. Um, as they developed, and you had people who came in who wanted to develop and deliver really good burgers to people uh, where you were talking about sourcing meat from certain areas um, and then the cheeses need to be certain things. You know, They were making their own blue cheese sauces from really good Stilton and things like that. Okay. So those sort of slightly higher end and specialist mm-hmm. places. Um, so, yeah, but they all, they all needed to have a vegan offering. Yeah. So developing and taking things forward with them in that way, they're delivering a be- vegan burger, you know, because no matter that it is a vegan alternative, people still seem to want it to look like yeah, they the do. real thing. Yeah, they and do. That, you've got two types of vegans, really. I think you've got the ones that want to eat 
exactly the same and make it vegan. And then you have those who don't even want the association of yeah. that meat taste yeah. and texture. Yeah, and and that I think the latter group are mm-hmm. those that were about animal welfare. Yeah. The former group are those about lifestyle and... Mm-hmm. I think it's really interesting with the milks because I think when people try and cut back, the first thing they do is milk. I yeah. think that's... I know my family, especially my brother still has normal milk, but um, the rest of my family have all cut back on the milk because that's like the first step. Do you... Are you I mean, I'm probably a silly question, but you're probably still a milk drinker. But I am. Uh, do you cut I'm back afraid. in... I, 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 um, not really. Uh, I changed from whole milk to semi-skimmed mm-hmm. because uh, in my former life, every time I went for a medical each year, the doctor um, doctor say, "Well, why are you drinking full-fat milk?" Oh, yeah. But I, I, yeah. again, that's another one I find quite bizarre because you're talking about two percent versus four percent. Yeah, it's minuscule. Mm-hmm. Um, but hey, I, you know, I grew up grew up in dairy world. You know, we back in the day when you used to take milk straight out of the tank from the dairy. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, when the cream floats to the top and you get that lovely two uh, before homogenization came uh, came along. So you'd have the cream rising to the top. Yeah. Um, I suppose I haven't switched just because I don't, I don't feel a, a moral need no. to do so. Um, and probably because I've just never really tried it. Yeah. But yeah, I've just never really felt the... Mm. I think that's so true when you said you haven't found a moral reason. Like, I think you've got to know your your why to why you're doing it. Otherwise, yeah. I think you could lose focus. But also, I think you're in an, an industry where you can get it very fresh and you can get it very easy. Where some places, maybe the quality is different depending on where you buy your milk. Yeah, and no, that's from. true. I suppose. Yeah, you know, ours is here, and it's local dairies, it's local things, it's their mm. own herds. We know them, we know their families. So I suppose that that does bring a piece to it yeah um i think from from my former life in the military having been around the world to all sorts of places um i probably understand more about what it takes for some people to be able to eat and and have Mm. food each day um and i worry slightly you know, this goes back to the whole global warming and things. You know, the, David Attenborough did a very, very good piece on soya. Mm-hmm. Uh, and actually the huge swathes of Brazilian rainforest that are being yeah. absolutely decimated to satisfy the world demand for soya. Mm-hmm. Um, people be, uh, will be unaware that the Chinese, or well, they might be actually, I don't know, the Chinese have invested heavily into Africa. Mm-hmm. they've paid for this new huge railway line to go right up through the middle of Africa. Wow. Uh, and that is to gain access to uh, land there. They, they're having irrig- bringing in huge irrigation uh, programs and yeah. things to allow them to grow. Uh, you know, what is what is a desert and arid area, mm-hmm. uh, which sort of helps balance the world in some ways, um, you know, will now become... Uh, huge food production areas to help them food their, feed their people. And so... I don't this whole balance of what is good for the planet, what is bad for the planet, yeah. uh, is an interesting. It, it is an interesting debate. You know that whole argument should we going back to just to being able to feed our country? Should we be eating what we can grow and what we can do in this country, and how that affects? You know, mm. everybody expects to get you know avocados all year round. I know eating all year round, locally all things, and which, yeah, you know. Again, that moral confliction. Well, to do that, yeah, it's great. It's lovely to have, but 
you know, actually, what's the carbon footprint getting avocados yeah. in from South America? No, it's very true. Uh, as opposed to, well, actually, you can only have avocados in the summer when we can grow a few in this country, which mm. we can't grow very often. So yeah. It's a difficult one. It is. Um, is it here to stay? I think undoubtedly it will be. I yeah. think the challenge of feeding the world is bigger than just uh, are we vegan, are we meat eaters? Mm, um, yeah, definitely. I think innovative stuff on providing enough protein because it's protein is probably the key to people yes. and feeding people. Um, you know, at the moment, traditionally, we've gained our protein from meat. Yeah. So for me, there's interesting things, you know, insects. Insect, you know, we, uh, I'm sure you've travelled around mm. the world and went to the Far East where yeah. eating locusts and other things like yeah, that yeah, yeah. is an everyday part of life. Mm. Um uh, yeah. They are packed with protein, and so I know the work that's going on developing food products from uh, insects is is an interesting yeah that is, an is interesting, interesting area it goes through. Now they're animals, so yeah. that doesn't solve the whole plant based whole plant based thing uh, because I think to move the world to an a pure plant based diet mm-hmm. would be a challenge to grow. And to grow sufficient food in that way without mm, the use of fertilisers and the other artificial things you need to develop and grow. You know, we can get into the whole genetically modified argument. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, whether that's right or wrong. And once you start playing around with genomes of things that we're eating, how does that actually affect us in the long term? I think the jury is still well and truly out on that. Mm. Is that natural evolution or are we playing with evolution? It's yeah, a, a, I think if the whole world went plant-based, I don't think it would be a good place. But I think cutting back, especially in places like America and stuff, where the amount of meat that people can consume is just crazy. I think another question I have is a lot of... um, There's a lot of talk about not so much the animals but the animal feed and how that produces a lot of um so the the, one of the questions i've had more regularly Mm. in the last particularly since david adams breaking a bit more of that is to talk about what we feed our cows with Mm. and the cheeses we have what how how are the cows fed and where it comes yeah um so we've always had sort of probably over the last three or four years questions about grass fed yeah the difference being so Cheesemakers, I said, we're after a quality of milk that's high high in fats and proteins. How do we achieve that? Most of that is achieved through a natural grass-fed diet. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the summer, when we, we've got lots of spare grass around, uh, we uh, harvest that and uh, produce a product called silage, which effectively is grass, mm-hmm. uh, which goes into big... Uh, storage facilities but virtually every dairy farm you've got and that's what we use for winter feed the grass is covered over and left so it doesn't really start to break down so it's not you know like when you cut your grass at home you chuck your clippings in the corner and Mm -hmm. they all start to rot down that process doesn't happen because we're taking uh light away particularly from from the things there the way that they they, the silage is kept keeps them keeps it covered and away from that and we slowly work our way through and so girls are fed that during the winter so that's for us as as cheesemakers on the on the milk producing side and that's probably where that there is the biggest difference um because they're just trying to drive volumes then they are supplementing their cows mainly with soya based mm. feeds um and soya based feeds is a is a really tricky one yeah because the demand for soya in the world is huge mm. um it is very straightforward to grow in the right climates and you can produce lots of it um but 
the side of the argument that says, you know, we are taking over huge parts of the world to do that. We're destroying rainforests to grow soya. Um, there are ethical soya uh, schemes out there mm-hmm. where they are they are looking and replanting. You know, for every trees that have been taken down, they're being replanted. There are some that are not doing that. They're just growing what they can. Mm-hmm. Um, and that goes into a soya. Uh, one something I found out recently is... Uh, with palm oil some some of the animal feeds have the palm oil kernels um, ground into the feed which i didn't wow. realize from certain places in the world so you have to be really careful so for us uh, and with some of the cheeses that we buy in um we are um we have a questionnaire that we send out oh amazing so we are asking other producers other mm-hmm. cheese producers um easier for the small artisan yeah. cheesemakers who who know their own herds you know individually and, and things but for a couple of the bigger ones right you know can you guarantee within your milk pool you know you've got six farms your own and then you're buying in milk from these other five farms i just need to know what what's being fed yeah. to those cows i know that barbers here do the same they, mm. they're very clear on, on what what you know they will ah uh, let cows be fed in mm-hmm. order to produce milk that goes into their into their cheese so yeah. you know that that is an ethical standpoint and that does help help out but that yes there are in certain parts of the world yeah um cows that are fed on a purely uh, there is no grass in their diet at all no that's out of necessity you know if you go into the, the desert parts of the world you know uh, the middle east where there are huge numbers of dairy farms, you just can't grow the grass to yeah to keep them all fed. So you you feed them something else. So yes, different different demands, different parts of the world. You know, with what you're yeah what you're having to do for people. So, and I guess it's just making sure you know where your meats and cheeses are coming from, depending. Yeah, here. for us, um, yeah, sustainability, the ethical side, animal welfare, are all things that are hugely important to. I mean, the Longman family over you know many years, but. Mm. but, but but for Sarah and I now, uh, and others, and you know, so that vegan animal welfare argument, I do accept that you know, at the absolute, um, we are keeping those animals to produce foods for us to yeah. eat. So, would we have cows if you know, would cows exist if we weren't taking? Know, either beef cattle their, their meat or producing milk probably not in anything no. like um you know the way that they are now even if it was small scale you know. I, so where will we get to i suppose that's where you're saying i think vegan and pl- or plant-based diet i think we have probably have to differentiate between the two yeah I, agree. Uh, I think a vegan is someone who is eating a plant-based diet from an ethical yeah standpoint it's yeah. about animals and animal welfare and not keeping or killing animals for food yeah i think the lifestyle choice is about moving to a plant-based diet yeah for the good of themselves mm-hmm. whether that's right or wrong time will tell yeah um i think you've moved to a plant-based diet yeah, i would I imagine yeah so you know we'll, we'll have to wait and see <laughs> you probably won't end up uh, looking like i do yeah. <laughs> eating all these bad things in life um but no um and then you know so those that are doing it for that lifestyle yeah choice how many of them will keep going and how many would it keep all the way through 
or after a time will it drift in that they you have a more balanced diet mm-hmm. uh, and and meat does come back okay. in for certain things depending on 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 you know how the world goes I, yeah. I suppose so it's it's an interesting thing i think to understand where that food's come from i mm-hmm. think uh, at the end of the day is probably the most important yeah. thing that we need to understand yeah. it all no i completely agree so to finish up i've got two products in front of me that i don't stock yet so i thought it'd be interesting to get your opinion on it so there's two cheeses from a brand called kinder co so i'm going to open them up we've got a mature um farmhouse cheese and we have got a smoked cheese there's one there right so the thing about cheese and uh, all food people um buy with their eye to start off with yeah and so you look and see and and what it's all about smell is another important part of um cheese so um okay so i've got slightly oniony tones in this before it starts uh you're absolutely right there is no way you could ever grate this product no it's it's soft so i've got huge amounts of onion yeah in that um and funny enough one of the ingredients is onion onion um which i would have to question why yeah Um, if i spoke to them i said i have reached out to them before but why would you need to put onion in onion in what is Um, cheddar so you know with this coconut oil brilliant natural cultures so you're looking for something to cause that um you know to calculate produce those bits miso which is soybeans brown rice salt and water fine that's great with that nutritional yeast because you need the yeast there bring it through some yeah. salt to stabilize but then onion powder i don't i'm afraid for them yeah get the onion powder on that i have got onion yeah at the end that's all i can really taste out of that i'm not sure it was that cheesy personally yeah no um, i agree there's nothing wrong with it no. as, as a product. No. And I could use that in things. There's nothing wrong with, you know, putting that on a jacket potato. I'd have to say it melts, but you could put that on a jacket potato yeah. and it would bring you some potato and you'd get an oniony cheesy ish yeah, I mean, taste. Yeah, I've got a bit of I've got a slight bit of creaminess, which yeah. is what you would hope to get out of the cheese at the end, but my overwhelming taste on that is um onion. Onion. Interesting. Um that may be. Now this one, interesting. This is so, smoked. Yeah. Next now, one. for them as branding, and if you talk to them, the one that's brown, yeah, looks smoked. It's so true. The one that's orange that is smoked looks like a double Gloucester. Yeah, yeah, smoked so cheddar flavour. I, I would, I would possibly brand it in a different way, but that's me. So now this will be interesting. So this has got onion powder and garlic powder. Yeah. And smoked water. Interesting. Yeah, so I will... I haven't tried this one either, actually, so I'm going to try it at the same time. So again, this it's that same sort of slightly... You get the smokiness. I have got the smokiness, but I've also got the garlic. Yeah. So to me, that's sort of reticent, uh, 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 reminiscent of a sort of smoked garlicky type cheese, of which there are several out there. So again, it's not unpleasant. No. It's something you could use. Mm-hmm. Um, you wouldn't be able to grate it, but it'd no. be fine in a sandwich. It'd be fine added 
added to things. So there's mm. not a, 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 an issue with that. Um, so yeah, if I, you know, I, I, I was about to say it's a sort of thing you could stuff inside a chicken breast, but that sort of <laughs> defies the. So it's not neither of those are unpleasant. No, like to stuffed eat. as as, nice as foods, they are not unpleasant. No, to which eat. is your favourite? I think the smoked. Yeah. I think with these products, they're all the same size and shape, which is fine. But the two other brands I stock, we mentioned Honestly Tasty earlier, and the other one is I'm Not Okay. They actually have the right shape. Yes. Which is nice on a cheese board, whereas this is the same rectangular shape, which I love their packaging. I love No, no, I think really, really well presented. So my last question for you. Go on. Again, I ask everyone this. What would be your last meal? So starter, main course, dessert... Oh what would be and it can be from a restaurant it can be your own cooking it could be whatever your favorite starter main course dessert so starter uh i would probably look at something like a really nice parma ham with melon because mm-hmm. yes. i think it's a fairly light sort of thing to start mm-hmm. a meal that's like different yeah, uh, I'm afraid main course would undoubtedly sit or be based around a steak of some kind. <laughs> That's fine. Um, because that, uh, yeah, I'm just a bluff old traditionalist. Yeah. Um, dessert, three courses or four? Oh, okay. Well, it's your last meal, so it can be four. Okay. So we'd have to, because it'd have to be a cheese course in there. I was going to, yeah, yeah, okay. So, you know, so um, dessert... Probably my mother's fault. I'm a sucker for a really good baked Alaska. Oh, what is that? I don't even know what baked Alaska so is. So baked Alaska, um, and you're going back to prawn cocktail times and things like okay. that from the, the 70s. So baked Alaska is a sponge base. Mm-hmm. You then have a fruit of some kind, um, fresh strawberries, uh, whatever it happens to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, you then put ice cream on the top. And then you coat it in meringue. So you just beat egg white and sugar. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a soft meringue. So it's not like meringue shells. It's a soft yeah. meringue. So it's very soft, very aerated. You put that over the top and you bang it in the oven for literally um, five minutes. Okay. And the outside of the meringue cooks. So you get that slightly chewy, sort of slightly burnt bit around the edge of the meringue. But then inside you've got strawberries and ice cream and stuff. Nice. And then we're on to on to cheeses. My cheese, personally, my cheese varies on time of year. Okay, makes uh, sense. So, I guess. summertime it tends to be lighter. You know, I love fresh mozzarellas. Um, you know, uh, and, and softer camemberts, like goat's cheeses, fresh goat's cheeses. And in the winter, you tend to move to the the, the, the heavier cheeses. So, yeah. there's always a good Stilton in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, cheddars uh, vary, but it's always traditional cloth bound. Are blessed with cheese, blessed yeah. with the cheese makers because there is such variety in in, in sort of one go, and you can mm. taste different things. You just think that that's you know amazing, and, and they do all, do all switch switch around. Hats off to them, but you know how much hard work yeah. it takes for them to make that product. You know, it's a labour of love. It's a life of of love to do that and to do it consistently and consistently well. Mm. Well, that sounds like a very good last meal. Very good. Well, thank you so much for talking all things cheese. I learned loads in that. And I'm sure everyone listening did as well. So thank you so much. No, delighted. And if people 
want to fire questions in then please, please yeah absolutely to, to ask and answer and uh, see if we can help things out amazing well thank Pleasure. you so much thank you guys so much for listening and i hope you learned something from chris's wealth of knowledge about all things cheese there were a lot of arguments brought up there which we could have definitely spent a lot more time discussing but we'll have to save that for another time Although we won't be launching those flavours from Kinda Co, we will be launching some other ones, so watch this space. Thanks again and see you next week.